0: You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. We are especially happy that on Preaching Source today, our guest is Dr. Abraham Curavilla. He is the research professor of pastoral ministries at Dallas Theological Seminary. He holds the THM from Dallas Theological Seminary and a PhD from the University of Aberdeen. Many of you know him because of his writing. He's written a number of books that we'll talk a bit about here today. Uh, he also writes regular columns for homiletics.com. Dr. Curavilla is a past president of the Evangelical Homiletics Society. Uh, Professor, welcome. We are delighted to have you today on Preaching
1: Source. Thank you. It's a delight to be here.
0: Dr. Curavilla, uh, most people who are getting an introduction to you uh, do so by way of your book, Privilege the Text. And in that book, you put forward a unique hermeneutical method called Christocentric preaching. Can you talk to us a bit about what Christocentric preaching is and how it differs uh, from what we might call Christ-centered preaching?
1: This is something that I've been working on for the last decade, and as a preacher, it has been a constant burden to move from an ancient text to an or- to a modern audience, and so language philosophy teaches us that authors and speakers do things with what they say. For instance, Barry, if your spouse tells you the trash is full, she's trying to get you to do something. She's telling you to take the trash out, even though it wasn't explicitly stated. So in in other words, we do things with what we say. And likewise in Scripture, every text is painting a picture of a divine call or a divine requirement of living in God's ideal world. What does it mean to live in God's ideal world, which I call the theology of the pericope. So by Christ iconic, I'm saying that the only one who has fulfilled all of the requirements of every pericope in every book in all of the testaments of scripture is Christ. So the requirement of each pericope, pericopal theology, is actually a facet of the image of Christ. And as we align ourselves to the theology of the pericope week by week, sermon by sermon, we're becoming more Christ-like. After all, Romans eight twenty-nine tells us that that's God's goal, to conform us into the image, or icon in Greek, of Christ. So Christ-iconic.
0: Dr. Carvilla, over the past few years, uh, Christ-centered preaching has become, well, I suppose we could call it a movement. What encourages you about this movement of Christ-centered preaching, and what
1: concerns
0: do you have about it?
1: Every Christian has the innate, inherent sense that Scripture is about Christ in some way. I think every child of God has the inbuilt understanding that Scripture is, shall I say, Christological in some way. The debates and the questions have centered around how is the text Christological? Christocentric interpretation has done us a service in focusing us on a Christological interpretation, but the way it has done so, I feel is missing much of the nuances of the text itself, the details of the text and the turns that the text takes with such excruciating detail, particularly in the Old Testament. There is a tendency in Christocentric interpretation, particularly in Old Testament texts, to to rush to Christ and the cross from every text in every sermon. The way that I talk about in Christ's iconic interpretation, on the other hand, these details and the nuances, the granularity of the text, so to speak, the fine details of the text, are respected. And we can still affirm, while respecting these details, we can still affirm that the text is Christological. It's displaying Christ, since he is the only one who has fulfilled the demand of every text of every pericope in Scripture. So, that's how I see the distinction between Christocentric and Christiconic. So, the application of a
0: text is that in some fashion, uh, as we read the, the text and learn from it, we're to be conformed into the image of Christ? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, you use a term of Pericopal theology, most of our preachers out there will know about biblical theology and systematic theology. What is pericopal theology, and, and what's the significance of that
1: to preaching? The whole understanding of what the author is doing with what he's saying in Scripture is what I label pericopal theology. I call it theology because it tells us something about God's ideal world and how God intends for us to relate to Him in that world. I give it the adjective pericopal to distinguish it from other sizes of text, biblical for a book or canonical for the whole book or systematic that includes all of the canon and its relationship to general revelation as well. So these species, biblical, canonical, systematic, look essentially at large chunks of the text, testaments, canon, whereas pericopal theology examines pericopes, small preaching texts, bite-sized chunks that are used in preaching, and explores what in that text is God calling us to do, what is the divine requirement in that text. It's actually a divine invitation. God is inviting us to come and live in his ideal world based on the values of that ideal world as propounded in that particular pericope, so pericopeal theology.
0: Abe, you have authored uh, several commentaries which follow uh, this method of exposition, uh, what to, how far along are you? You Let's see, you have one on Genesis, one on Mark, how?
1: Mark, Genesis, Ephesians, and Judges to be coming out in a couple of months. So, so f- J-
0: Judges is the next one Judges out. Judges is the next one. I've so. 62 more books. Well, uh, we're hoping that you live long and prosper because <laughs> <laughs> we need for you to write years. the rest of those books. <laughs> uh, <laughs> In in your latest book, A Vision for Preaching, Understanding the Heart of Pastoral Ministry, you make a strong connection, a direct connection between preaching and all of pastoral ministry. Uh, I believe in the book you talk about preaching being biblical, pastoral, and ecclesial. Uh, talk to us for a little bit about this connection between preaching and pastoral ministry.
1: To your audience, Dr. McCarty, I don't need to explain why preaching is biblical, so I won't. However, one consequence of preaching being biblical is the idea of lexio continua, which means to preach through books in sequence and within books in sequence, because there's a larger trajectory that can be caught only as you go pericope by pericope through a book. So that's probably one of the important consequences for biblical preaching. I say that preaching is pastoral because it is the leader of the flock that should be preaching on a regular basis. To sum it up, I would say shepherding cannot be divorced from preaching. Preaching is spiritual formation from the pulpit. And so the best person to do that is the pastor, the one who is responsible for the shepherding of the flock. And in in that office, the pastor preaches in the corporate gathering of the sh- of the of the flock preaching is ecclesial because the proper context of preaching throughout biblical history was the church at worship it's always in the context of worship where the real presence of Christ is that we undertake to exposit the word of god to depict what Christ-likeness is all about. So there's a an integral connection between the worship of the church and the preaching of the church. So preaching is ecclesial in that aspect as well. So much so that even if I'm preaching in a conference or a or a Bible study, I always try to tell the leaders to couch it, to to surround it with some singing, some prayer, some at least a semblance of worship, because I think that is the proper context for the preaching of God's Word.
0: You've written that preachers often fail to derive a valid application for
1: a modern audience. How can we get better at that? The first step, of course, is to catch the thrust of the text, what I call the theology of the pericope. Uh, Let me give you an example that I Briefly mentioned at the conference today. That's from Proverbs 11, 1, where it says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, and a just weight is his delight. The theological thrust, the pericopal theology, is something like, and it could be phrased better, of course, that honest business practices delight God. Well, once you have arrived at that theological thrust, the theology of the text, uh, what application seeks to do is, how do, how, does, how do my listeners accomplish this call of the text? How do I get my audience, my flock, to engage in honest business practices so as to delight God? Actually, better yet, the first question to ask is, what can I do? So if you are preaching a text, make sure you ask yourself the question, what can I do as a result of the call of this text? What specific facet of my life can I change? Pretty often, frequently, what you decide to do can be shared with your flock. We are all in the same spiritual pilgrimage. And so what you decide to do specifically to change your life as a result of the call of this text will work quite well in a public format as well. And it will also force us preachers now to be hypocrites, right? Mm. We are called to practice what we preach. Indeed we
0: are. The, you've described, as, as many others have described, the, the process of creating sermons as moving from the text to the theology to the application. What step in that chain do you believe preachers find the most difficult, and how could we get better at it?
1: I think, it's, I think it's probably the foundational aspect of finding the theology of the text, finding what the author is doing, finding the thrust of the text, all of those terms I use equivalently. I think for the longest time we approach language as if it were a code in a text, and we need to decode it to get the author's thoughts, so the code model of interpretation. But language always, always works inferentially. And the example that I gave a little few minutes ago about the trash is full. Uh, While my wife may be giving me the state of the trash, the inference there is she wants me to do something about it to take it out. So that's just how language always functions. And I think we need to go back to seeing the biblical text function that same way. This approach to scripture, we haven't been taught This approach to Scripture is usually not modeled in pulpits, and so we generally tend to find it difficult. And that's my life's question, crusade, to remedy this deficit. Uh, Dr.
0: Curavilla, I recently was a reader on two different... Uh, PhD dissertations in preaching here at Southwestern Seminary, both of whom made reference to your work and especially to your model of iconic preaching. So I want to strongly recommend to our listeners that if they're not familiar with that concept, uh, that that's something they need to wrap their, their heads around. If someone was new uh, to your works, would uh, what would be the first of your books you'd recommend? Privilege the Text or, or another?
1: I think most parents would say that their youngest child is their favorite one. (laughs) (laughs) My most recent one on the hermeneutics is A Vision for Preaching that was published by Baker. I think that would probably uh, whet some appetites and maybe stoke some more appetites. If people want to read more, privilege the text as an earlier book, which was helpful as well.
0: All right. Well, our guest today on Preaching Source has been Dr. Abraham Curavilla, a professor of pastoral ministries at Dallas Theological Seminary and one of the leading writers in the field of homiletics in our generation. Uh, you need to pick up his vision for preaching and privilege the text and make yourself familiar with what Dr. Curavilla has to say. Brother Abe, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Barry, it's been a privilege. Thank you.